0: Today, we're going to wrap up our 10th and final commandment. We've come a long way. We've discussed a lot of stuff, and it all kind of ends here it all kind of comes to a climax right here in the tenth commandment now I hope that if you've been here throughout this series you've been growing in these things that God has been teaching us you know I'd ask you to raise your hand if you've mastered the first nine commandments but anyone who raised their hand would be guilty of breaking the ninth commandment which is don't lie so uh, I'm not going to ask you to do that I'm not going to trick you but the thing is we're all a work in progress none of us are perfect none of us have it all figured out certainly not me and so it's not the point isn't that we've perfected these things, that we've mastered them all. The point is that we are growing and we're getting closer to what God wants out of us and what God wants to see in our lives and in our hearts. And remember, remember the whole backdrop, the whole setting for the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, God says, I am the Lord your God. He's speaking to the Israelites. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. And the people he was talking to had literally been slaves in Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt through the Exodus. Moses led them out, and he said, remember who I am. Remember how much I love you, how much I care about you. Remember how I'm on your side. And he said that because God knows that when we hear things like, this is his law, we think of rules, and we think of, you know, things, burdens that we have to do, and God says, no, I haven't given you my law to be a burden. He gave us his law so that we would see how much we need his grace, his help, but he also gave us his law because it's the key to a life of joy and purpose. You know, Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments. Jesus said that the ten, the, the, all of God's law can be summarized in this, love God, love other people, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and love your neighbors yourself. And so I just wanted to kind of remind us what this is all about, kind of the big picture of the Ten Commandments, and with that in mind... We are going to tackle our commandment for today, the 10th commandment, a perfect Christmas time commandment, don't covet. 10th commandment, don't covet. Now, some of you, when you walked in today, you might have looked at this stage behind me, and you might have thought of your own Christmas decorations, and you might have thought, my Christmas tree is not as massive as this Christmas tree up here, and you might have coveted just a wee little bit, and, uh, and I understand that. And we want to talk about coveting today. Now, the word covet isn't a word that we use very often. It means when you want something that belongs to someone else or something that you don't have and really can't have, but especially if someone else has it and you want it. That's coveting. Coveting is when you look at your life and you're unhappy with your life. You're you're unhappy with what God has given you or you're unhappy with what God hasn't given you. It's called coveting. In the thesaurus... The word coveting is found around words like envy and lust. And so this is a big problem. It's a big issue. And it's an issue that I think we should tackle around Christmas time because, you know, Christmas is a time of gifts. It's a time of getting as much as it's a time of giving. And I was reminded of that yesterday. So yesterday, um, I took my kids to the store. Yep, I hear you. I'm, I'm with you. Um, I took my kids to the store and. We had to buy shoes from for one of my kids. I got four kids. We had to buy shoes for one of my kids. And like, I don't mean like my kid like wanted new shoes and I'm a pushover parent. Like he literally needed new shoes. His, his shoes that he wears every day have a hole on top. And I'm like, son, at some point your teacher's going to call me and be like, what's going on at home? Like, do we need to call somebody? Do we need to call the authorities? So I'm like, we need new shoes for you. So I take my four kids to the store, and I tell them, we're going to get new shoes, but all we're going to buy, one pair of new shoes, that's it. And so we go to the shoe section, and we're looking at shoes, and he's looking at shoes in his size. And while he's looking, I start looking at shoes in my size over there. And I'm like, wow, those LeBrons are really, at a really good price. And I'm like, I need new LeBrons now that I think about it. And then I start looking at those shoes, and then two of my other children, they inform me that they also need new shoes. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, if I bring home four pair of new shoes, my wife is going to kill me, all right? <laughs> and I'm preaching on the 10th commandment tomorrow, so this isn't going to fly. So I had to say, sorry, kids. One pair of shoes, that's it. But it goes so quickly. quickly. Coveting grows so, so quickly in our hearts. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at the 10th commandment I want to explain what it meant to the Israelites who first heard it, those people who came out of Egypt, and then I want to talk about how Jesus affects the 10th commandment and what it means for you and me today. So let's go ahead and look at the 10th commandment. Here it is, Exodus 20, verse 17. "'You must not covet your neighbor's house, you must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor.'" All right, this is the 10th commandment. Now, this 10th commandment is unusual. It's the most unique commandment of any of the 10 commandments. And the reason that it's the most unique commandment is because it doesn't really deal with our actions. It doesn't really deal with the things that we do. It deals with our minds and the intentions of our hearts. Do you see what he's saying there in the 10th commandment? He's not saying don't steal your neighbor's house, you know, don't commit adultery with your neighbor's spouse. Certainly, those things are talked about in other laws. But here, he's not talking about so much what you do. He's talking about the intentions of your heart, what you think, what you want, your desires. That's what he's talking about. And this was an unusual commandment in the Ten Commandments. It was an unusual law. If you look at all the laws in the ancient world, there's no other law like the Tenth Commandment. And it makes sense because you couldn't go to... You can go to any other human king, and no human king could make a law that says, hey, uh, if you think the wrong thing, I'm going to punish you. Because no human king knows our thoughts, knows what's in our minds, knows what's in our hearts. Only God does. And God can judge not only our actions, but the intentions of our hearts, our desires. And so that's what's going on in the Tenth Commandment. God is not only talking about our actions, what He's really talking about is our thoughts. What do we want to do? What do we long for? What do we long after? And so in the 10th commandment, God lists different things that were part of everyday Israel. You know, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet their wife, male, female servant. And this list wasn't meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to be illustrative. So there's a second place where the 10 commandments are written. It's written in Exodus 20, and it's written in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God's speaking to the Israelites after they're in the promised land, and He changes the list a little bit. He adds things that people who are in the promised land might have. And so the point of that is to say, don't read the 10th commandment and say, great, I will not covet my neighbor's ox. No problem. That's all it means for me. You know, I'm not going to covet my neighbor's butler. Got it. That's not what it means. We should think and ask ourselves, what does the 10th commandment mean for you and me today? And so I thought about that this week. And so here's how we might break the 10th commandment today. I just want to walk line by line through the verse and talk about how, how we might do this today. So, first line, you must not covet your neighbor's house. Well, what might that look like today? What kinds of things might we say or might we think in our hearts? You, you might, to covet your neighbor's house might look like this. Your internal dialogue might say something like this. Man, they sure have a lot of nice stuff. <laughs> Man, I am so tired of living in this neighborhood. Man, my house is a dump. Or, have you ever done this one? How come I can't get that HGTV house? I've I've had that thought before. I've had that one. Why can't someone flip or flop my house, you know? (laughs) It's breaking the 10th commandment. It's coveting. Why don't I have that? Why can't I get it? Why do I have to live here? The next line, you must not covet your neighbor's wife. You might think, wow, she's sure beautiful. How come my wife doesn't age like that? I wish... I mean, I'm sorry. I'm I mean, these are things people think. I wish I had married someone else, someone like that person. I wish I'd be so much happier if I hadn't married my wife. It's breaking the 10th commandment. Maybe you think, look at her husband. He's so nice. He's good with the kids. He helps around the house. He doesn't break things. He actually fixes them. <laughs> Why am I stuck with my husband when there's so many other men out there, right? It's breaking the tenth commandment. It's coveting something that doesn't belong to you, something that's not for you. The next line: male or female servant, ox or donkey. How we interpret that for today, man? My car is a piece of junk. <laughs> it's not fair spend all my money on my car. Or you open up Facebook, they're in Hawaii again? <laughs> they're going to Mexico now? <laughs> we, we don't have enough money to go to grandma's house. <laughs> Why am I stuck in this loser job? Why am I stuck in this career? Why can't my kids be more like their kids? Why are my parents so lame? <laughs> How come they never get it? And if none of those things apply to you, God ends this passage. He says, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. What might that be? I wish I could be smart like him. My life would be better if I looked like her. Why couldn't I have a normal family? Why can't I run as fast as she can or jump as high as he can? Or why is everything in my life so hard when it's so much easier for everyone else? That's the sin of coveting. It's wanting something that you don't have, that someone else has, and getting bitter about it. And we all do it. So here's the thing. Fortunately, Jesus shows us how to deal with the sin of coveting, and how to move through it, how to move past it. And, and so that's what I want to show you today. And the first way is this we need to understand this sin starts in the heart. Sin starts in the heart. I don't sin, I don't just first sin when I tell a lie or when I take something that doesn't belong to me, or when I, you know, if I commit adultery, that's not the beginning of sin. Sin starts in the heart. It starts in here, in the mind. When I have sinful desires and I start to say, yeah, I want that, that's where sin starts. Look at what James says in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. James says, look, we're all tempted to do things that we shouldn't do. That's very human. Where does that temptation come from? It comes from desires inside of us. Sinful desires is what he's talking about. Sin is anytime we fall short of God's standard." So if you've been here in the Ten Commandments series, you know a lot of God's standard. Don't lie, don't steal, don't use his name in vain. Anytime you do those things and similar things, you're sinning, you're breaking God's law. The thing is, as humans, we are hardwired to sin. I never had to sit any of my children down and say, okay, kids, this is how you sin. Watch me. (laughs) Do as I do. I mean, they did watch me and did as I did, but I didn't have to explain it to them. They're hardwired for it. We just have this propensity inside of us to sin, to go our own way, it's so bad that sometimes just hearing what God wants from us makes us want to go, ah, eh, I want to do the other thing. I want to go the other way. So that's sinful desire that's inside of us. So where does temptation come from? The Bible says it doesn't come from outside. The devil didn't make you do it. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. James uses the language of fishing here. He's talking about like a fish hook. Like a fish hook gets stuck the mouth of the fish, and it pulls them, pulls the fish where the fish doesn't want to go. In the same way, our sinful desires lead to temptation. These desires give birth to sinful actions. You say, I want that thing. I want it so badly. I don't want them to have it. I should have it. And eventually, eventually what happens? Eventually you act on those feelings, those thoughts. You want your friend's house. Then you start to think, why do they have it? They don't deserve that house. They're not better than me. They don't work harder than I do. Then you start to badmouth them. You start to gossip. You start to complain to your spouse. Why do we live here? Why couldn't you help us get a better house? And, and now we're just on this path of, we're, we're, we're breaking the 10th commandment. We're breaking all kinds of commandments. We're destroying relationships. It all starts in the human heart. That's what I want you to see. That all of the sin begins in the human heart and then works its way into actions. In fact, the Apostle Paul said that the Tenth Commandment was so important because Paul, he wrote most of the book, not most, but many of the books of the New Testament, you know. The Apostle Paul, he said that I never really knew what sin was until I read the Tenth Commandment. He says this in Revelation or in Romans, rather, chapter 7. In Romans 7, he says, you know, he was a good Jewish person. He grew up, he was ethnically Jewish, grew up in the Jewish faith, good Jewish boy. And what he says is, look, I I read the first nine commandments, and I did them. I followed them. I didn't lie. I honored my parents. I didn't use the Lord's name in vain. I did all those things. And so Paul thought, I thought I was good because I did all those things well. But then what Paul says is, I read the 10th commandment, don't covet, and I realized I had a problem, that sin is not just what I do with my hands. It's just not out here, but it's what I think in my mind and, and believe in my heart, And so Paul says, when I realize that coveting is a sin, I realize I've broken all Ten Commandments. And that's Jesus' point, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. We saw this when we read the the verse, do not murder. And we thought, oh, that's great. I haven't murdered anyone. Yay. then Jesus says, have you ever been angry? You ever called someone an idiot? You ever hated someone? Yeah, I have. That's murder, Jesus says. You're guilty of murder. You're liable to the punishment of hell. And so that's how big this sin problem is. It's how big this, this coveting, this, this sin in our heart problem is. It touches every part of us. And so what we fundamentally have is a heart issue. We need to check our hearts. We need to ask ourselves, what do I desire in life? What do I desire most? The answer to that question will give you a good idea about where you are in your relationship with God. The kind of things that you desire most will reveal a lot about how connected you are to God. How close you are to him. Another question to ask yourself is when how do I handle it when my friends succeed and I don't? How do I handle it when my friends get something good and I don't? How do I handle it when people at work at work are promoted and I'm not? <laughs> Do I think, that's unfair, I deserve it, and maybe you did deserve it, but do you take it a little further than that, and then it becomes, you know, coveting, selfish desire, sinful desire? Do you focus on what you don't have, or do you focus on how God has blessed you? That's a great question. I've been thinking about that a lot this weekend do I spend most of my time thinking of the things I don't have or do I spend my time saying, God, thank you so much for the things I do have. It's so easy to think about the things we don't have. We have a heart problem. Sin starts in the heart. The second thing we need to understand is that coveting means you are never happy with what you have. The problem with coveting is it means you're never fulfilled, satisfied, happy with what you have. You're always focused on what you don't have. You know, one way that we covet is the insatiable appetite for more. We want more. We don't really care what it is. More money, newer car, bigger house, newer phone. I can't update my phone. I need a new one, right? We want more fries with our hamburger. Like, whatever it is, we want more. It's, maybe that's just me. It's never enough. It's never enough. We want more. We want more. We want more. We focus on what we don't have. We want more. We want more. Insatiable appetite for more. Will we ever have enough? If you never have enough, you're probably guilty of coveting. Another way we covet is we are unwilling to part with what we do have. Right? The Bible says that God has blessed us with stuff in order to help others. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But if you're a person who covets and only focuses on how little you have, I call that a mentality of scarcity A mentality of scarcity says, I need to hold on to what I have because it might be gone tomorrow and who knows where more will come from. And I can't trust God. I can't trust anyone. I just need to look out for myself, my family. It's all up to me. And so when I hear about people who are in need, I'm not generous. I hold on to what I have. That's a scarcity mindset. God wants us to have a generosity mindset. But if you hear about people who are in need and you're not moved to help them, you're probably a person who's guilty of breaking the 10th commandment. You're a person who's coveting. You watch the Missions Week video, and if your response is like, ah, oh, I'd love to help, but, you know, got, got a lot of expenses in the month of December, and I get that. But if you're like, I can't help at all. I can't part with anything. I need it all. And we probably don't have our priorities in the right order, right? If we can't help those who are in need. God blesses us so that we can help those who are in need. But if we just hoard what we have and we're not willing to share with others, we're probably coveting. Coveting is a constant, it's also a constant grumbling over what you don't have, and it's not being pleased with what you do have. We all have a friend, all of us have a friend who is always talking about how much they don't like what they have, right? (laughs) Their stuff's not good enough. Their house isn't good enough. Their car's not good enough. Their boyfriend's not good enough. Like, they just talk about whatever it is. It's not enough. It's not good enough. My question is, are you that friend? Are you that person that's like, it's never good enough? Because that's coveting. And here's what happens. If you remember just the structure of the Ten Commandments for a second, the first first four commandments are about your relationship with God, the next six are about your, our relationship with each other. So first four are about our, our vertical relationship with God. The others are about our horizontal relationships with each other. And so the 10th commandment does affect your relationship with God, but really it's about, it's expressed in our relationship with each other. And look at what happens when we don't get the 10th commandment right. James says in chapter 4, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? James is talking to Christians, and he's saying to the Christians, like you and me, Christians at church, he says, what causes the quarrels and fights among you in your church, in your small group, in your serving teams, in your families? What causes these fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires? That's those evil desires again. Where do those come from again? They come from your heart. They come from inside. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Does that describe anyone's Thanksgiving Day with their family? You don't have to raise your hands. We've all been in those family conversations, right? Where the quarrels and the fights and the people are waging war against one another. Where does it come from? It comes from our inner... Discontentment. We're not content. We're not satisfied. We want more and more and more. We're jealous of what others have. We're not happy for them. We don't think they deserve it. We focus on ourselves. So what's the answer? What do we do? How do you fight the sin of coveting? Just stop going on Facebook and Instagram, you know? Stop watching HGTV, maybe. Maybe that'll help. But those are just symptoms, we need to get to the root, to the heart. And that's God's work. And God tells us that the keys to overcoming coveting are contentment and generosity. Contentment and generosity are the keys to overcoming coveting. God has two qualities that he wants us to see to see in us. The first is contentment. Contentment has to do with our attitude as it relates to stuff. We need to have a contentment attitude. A contentment attitude says... I trust that God is wiser than me and that anything I need in life, God will supply to me. And if I don't have something right now, it's because God doesn't feel like I need it. That's part of the thought process of a person who's content. It's a person who says, the God of the universe, who's been doing this a long time (laughs) and has been dealing with billions and billions of people over the years, that God knows enough to supply me with everything I need, and so I trust him. A content person says that God's smarter than me, that God knows more than I do, that God's got a better plan than I have, and he's going to give me what I need, no matter what it is, whether it's money, whether it's a spouse, whether it's children, whether it's the career I want, whether it's money for college, whatever it is, God's going to give it to me when it makes sense in his plan, and I'm just going to be content until that time comes. I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. The Bible says there's two things that go together here. One is godliness. Godliness simply means if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, your desire and ability to honor God. At Alpine, we kind of talk about it like this. We talk about going full circle in a relationship with God. You can learn more about what that means after the service, but to go full circle in your pursuit of God means you're living to please God and honor Him, and if you do that, you are on your way to godliness. Again, we never attain it. We're never perfect people, right? No perfect people allowed. We have t-shirts that say that, right? So if you're here today, you're a perfect person. Please don't ever come back. You're messing up our church, okay? <laughs> no perfect people allowed. So we're imperfect people, but we're getting closer to what God wants in us, which is godliness. Godliness. Look what it says, godliness with contentment. With the attitude, God knows better than me, God will supply all my needs, God's got this. When you put contentment and godliness together, what do you have? You have great wealth. Yeah, great wealth. Wealth isn't in how much money you have, how many invest how, how great your investments are, how great your education is. Uh, Your wealth is found in being connected to God and growing into a person who's more and more like Jesus, having a relationship with Him, and having contentment, and saying that that God is strong enough and big enough to supply me with all I need in every situation. So we need an attitude of contentment. The other thing that we need is generosity. We need to become generous people. In, In 1 Timothy 6, it goes on to say this in verse 18, it says, tell them, and then there are people like us, people who have some stuff, people who have some possessions, not fabulously wealthy people, not billionaires, but, but people who, you know, have some stuff. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. That's generosity. God says if the attitude we need is the attitude of contentment, the action step we need is the action step of generosity, to become generous people. And God is speaking to all of us in this room. He's saying from the perspective of the world, most, the overwhelming majority of people in this room are pretty well off. We are. The overwhelming majority of us. And so what God says is, I want you to take some of what I have given you and I want you to use it to help others in need. That's generosity. A couple weeks ago when we were talking about the commandment, don't steal, we said it like this. There's three ways to look at your stuff, but there's three ways to look at stuff. The first is this. You can say, what's yours is mine. That's called stealing. You'll go to jail for it. So I don't recommend that. (laughs) Don't steal. What's yours is mine. The second way to look at stuff is to say, what's mine is mine. I worked for it. I earned it. It's my money. It's my stuff. I'm going to do what I want with it. And if I don't want to share, I don't have to share because it's mine. That's called selfishness. It's also a sin. What's mine is mine. There's a third way to look at stuff. The third way is what's mine is God's. That's the third view. The third view says everything I have is a gift from God. Because God owns everything. So whether it's my time, my money, my abilities, it's all a gift from God. And here's the thing that amazes me about God, is that God blesses me so much. He gives me so much. And he basically lets me to keep the vast majority of it, to do pretty much whatever I want with it, as long as it's not sinful. I can pretty much do whatever I want with my stuff, except there's just a very small proportionate amount that he wants me to use to help others who are in need, to give to his church. And when we do that, we become generous people. And that's what God wants for us. If, you deal, if you're struggling with the sin of coveting, you need to learn to become a generous person. You need to maybe decide, okay, this week, this, this week today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give to Missions Week. I'm gonna give to help provide thousands, hun- literally hundreds of thousands of meals to starving children somewhere in the world. I'm gonna give to help put together a, a brand new furnished apartment for a refugee family. This will be the third apartment we've done as a church. I'm going to give money to help kids right now in the foster care system. That, that ministry, Little Lamb, started by an alpiner in Cache Valley. And, and maybe God's calling you to give to support that. And not just that, but the, the greater work of our church that we do day in, day out, helping people pursue God. Here's the thing. The more you give away, the more stuff you give away, the richer you become. Right? That's one of those great things in life. <laughs> uh, something that um, Anne Frank said in her diary, it's not the Bible, it's Anne Frank, but it's really good. You know? she, said, she said, no one ever became poor through giving. That's so true, right? No one ever became poor by giving your stuff, your time. You become richer and wealthier. Richer in relationships, richer in what matters, richer even in your relationship with God. And so, if you're here today and you're like, man, I have, a, I have a coveting problem, and I bet a lot of us do, what's the answer? The answer is contentment, and the answer is generosity. Now, I want to end here. You, you might have a question for me, and the question might be, wait a minute, wait 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 a second, Scott. You're just telling me to just trust God with all this. With my money, with my future, with my family? Just give generously and extravagantly. Just be content and trust that God's going to provide. How can I really trust God that much? Maybe that's your question. And that's a really good question. It's a very fair question. And here's my short answer. My short answer is Jesus. It's the cross. Because, you know, we're celebrating the message in the story of Jesus right now in this time of year. Jesus comes to earth as a little baby. The Son of God, God Himself, comes as a baby, but He doesn't stay a baby, right? He grows up, becomes a man, and He lives a sinless life. Jesus never broke any of the Ten Commandments, never sinned, never broke God's law, until one day when He was still a pretty young guy, He died on a cross like that one. And He died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, because the Bible says the wages of our sin, what we earn through sin is death, God didn't want us to die, and so he sent his son, Jesus, to die in our place. And the Bible says that if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And you can do that today. Today you can trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you know that when you die, whenever that happens, whether that's tonight or that's in 60 years, you will go to heaven and be with Jesus and his people forever. That is God's promise to you. And here's what I think, if I can trust God with my eternity, I can trust him with my present as well. I can trust him with today. If I can trust him to take care of me into the future, I can trust him to take care of me right now. And I just want you to imagine what would it be like to be a person who says, I am not going to be a person that just wrecks my relationships because I don't have what I want. I'm going to be a person who lives out contentment and generosity. I'm going to bless others. I think that's the kind of life that we'd all want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these Ten Commandments. God, I pray that we could say along with David, the psalmist, that we could say, I delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law I meditate day and night. God, would we look at the Ten Commandments, not as a burden to bear, but as an invitation to a life of joy and meaning and purpose. And God, I want to pray for everyone in this room as you have opened their eyes to maybe one commandment of these 10 that maybe they're really struggling with right now. Maybe they're just really falling short right now. God, I pray that as they think of that commandment, Lord, that you would really impress it upon their heart, that they wouldn't leave here today and think, wow, this was just some good information um, and just kind of file it away. But they would see that, God, you want to come into their lives and you want to heal them and you want to transform them and you want to make them new, God. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would do that work, Lord. Would you just give us courage to deal with whatever it is you've laid on our hearts, whether that's in our small groups or in mentoring relationships or around the dinner table. God, I pray that you would help us to take what we've learned from you today and put it into our lives. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.